0: here is your host, Gabriel Rutledge. Check, check, check. Well, I'm recording uh, on July 4th. Um, That's how much I love America. I said I'm going to record on July 4th. Uh, Programming note. uh, I think episodes are going to come out on Mondays now. Uh just makes more sense because uh, you know, I have more time to record on weekends or in hotels or whatever, and uh so uh I think Monday is gonna be the new episode day. So adjust your lives accordingly. This will be up Monday and then for the rest of time. I actually uh I just made my I, I had a blog for a thousand years. Uh, I think it goes back to 2003, I had a blog. I mean, I haven't put a lot on it in recent years, but it was still up. And I just sort of, uh, on a whim, started reading through a bunch of my old blog posts, and I'm like, I'm making this thing private. Time doesn't age well. Not that even it was, like, wildly inappropriate things. But it was just, like, I don't know, a bunch of dumb shit, a bunch of stuff that I really don't need to have public. But uh man I feel like I feel like the internet does that more than uh, does that more to you more than life did before the internet, if that makes sense. I mean what do you what you run across a high school paper you made or something, or you sign someone's yearbook with something stupid and they would be embarrassed, or you'd look at an old photo and be embarrassed. The internet, especially if you're a creator of some kind, you're just constantly putting out shit, and then 10, 15, 20 years later, you're like, oh my god, that's still up? You know? I have blog posts that are the equivalent of a mullet haircut. Maybe that was okay for the time, but it's not now. Uh, I'm doing what I normally do on July 4th, uh, sitting in my car. In front of my house while my family's inside recording a podcast. That's how committed I was to getting an episode out this week. I can't, everyone's home. I can't really podcast from inside my house. So like a lunatic, I'm sitting in front of my house in my 2015 Kia Rio holding a microphone. You pr- one of my neighbors is mowing his lawn. I'm right next to one of my other neighbors. If they come out and work on their garden, they're going to be like, what the fuck is he doing? Uh, but anyway, here I am. Also, it's a little warmer than I thought it would be in my car. I might have to turn the, (laughs) I might have to start it. I might have to start it and run the AC. Or start it, go into the garage, shut the garage door, and just record it till it's done. All done. Uh, I did a show yesterday that was pretty fun, uh, at Linda's house. You guys know Linda? No? I'm still doing some summer backyard shows. Uh I had a good time at Linda's house yesterday. Uh I met the wackiest dog I ever met in my life. They had this dog uh Dakota, I'll name drop. Uh Dakota male Dakota, which you know, whatever. I'm not going to misgender a dog, but I thought Dakota was a girl's name. So I apologize. Oh good. I'm I'm podcasting right now, and an Amazon package delivery is here while I'm holding a microphone. This is my job too, sir. Don't look at me. I mean, barely. I make I make a little bit of money doing this. Anyway, uh, <laughs> actually, Brad, who uh, gives me some of that money, Brad is a uh, Rutledge reveler to this podcast. What's a Rutledge Reveler? I'm glad you asked. Listen up, Amazon driver. Uh, some people give me money, monthly, to support this podcast. If you would like to do that, uh, in the episode notes, click on Support This Podcast. And uh, that's, uh, that's how it happens. We just got a package. This is a live report. I'm looking at my front porch right now. We just got a package. It's from Zoo Lily. I don't know exactly what that company is, but I know it costs my family thousands of dollars a year. I do know that. Uh, anyway, shout out to Brad, who was there. Uh, but this dog, I mean, I pull into the house, and there's a sign on the fence that's like one of those warning we have a dog signs. Like It's a picture of a German Shepherd, and it's like, this dog can make it to the fence in two seconds. Can you get away that fast? Or some shit like that, you know keep the bad people away. So then when I see the dog, I'm like, wow, you've been advertised as a real son of a bitch, so I was a little nervous. But this dog, I don't know, I mean, it's a special needs dog. This dog, my daughters would say this dog was neurodivergent. So it ran over to me and just kind of stood there and looked at the ground, which I tried to figure out, and then uh, uh, Brad Brad knows Linda. to small town. Uh, he uh, had to tell me that uh, the dog likes to chase the shadow of your hand. So he was looking at my shadow, and then you put your hand out, and then the dog, like, pounces on your shadow. Almost like the way a cat plays with a with a laser pointer. That's what the dog does with shadows. I mean, it felt a little weird, because to make the shadow i was like jerking my hand out in an upward outward motion with my right hand and then you know i'm like okay am i doing a nazi salute to this german dog right now this is this feels very bad uh but yeah what a goofy fucking dog it actually laid in front of me uh during most of my performance uh in the backyard uh pretty it was a very well behaved dog it did start barking at one point I covid so but i hate it we got to get rid of it that's fine i don't know if the dog thinks a g- giant shadow just showed up but <laughs> seems very excited <laughs> by the way that's not the dog that i was promised on the fence it said <laughs> the fence was like the, the dog can make it here in two seconds can you or something like and I'm like, oh, that sounds serious. And then I see the dog and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Show me a shadow. <laughs> also, how small is Olympia, Washington? Uh, well, I'll tell you how small it is. Uh, there was, I don't know how many people are at that party. 20, 30. I'm going more closer to 20. Uh, one of the people used to own my house. I think. Two two people before my mother in law bought it, and then before we bought it uh they used to own my house that's how small and limp you can't even go to someone's backyard uh <laughs> without running into someone who used to own your house We were talking about our neighbors who's still there uh during during the show i uh I referenced having hardwood floors and then i i looked i looked over at the guy who used to live in my house I started laughing because I'm like well they didn't have we didn't have hardwood floors when we moved in. By the way, how is Olympia's where where did he go? But like, someone used to live in my house. Where he, Oh yeah, he used to live in my house. That's that's how small Olympia is. Like I used I used to live in your house two owners ago. I'm like, this town needs to grow. <laughs> He's probably thinking, you are hardwood floors? <laughs> so that was fun. I'm probably I got a few more backyard shows scheduled. I'm gonna try to squeeze a few more into August and then uh Man, starting in September, I have to travel again. I got to be, uh, you know, actually in August, I am I am gone a little bit in July and August on the road. But in September, like pretty serious. Well, I'm going to Dubai for two weeks. So that obviously, uh, you know, <clears throat> that'll make for a serious amount of travel. And how how it happens, especially coming out of a pandemic. But even before, it would be like, I'd book something that's going to take two weeks. And I'm like, well, that's all I'm going to go on the road then in September. And then someone else calls me and like, hey, I got well, there's a corporate gig in San Antonio. It's, you know. What would it cost? Actually they didn't even say that. They just go, two grand, no travel. I'm sorry I talk about money, but uh comedy's so ridiculous cause it's like two grand or twenty dollars. That's you know <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I'm like, well, I can't say no to, of course I have to go that, and then, so now I'm going there, and now I'm, oh, I'm going to Boise, and I'm adding this thing to it, and then, oh, when I get back, I wasn't going to go anywhere for a week or so, but then, you know, I'm doing this show in Montana, and it's like, so, you know, it doesn't end up just being the two weeks, but really, I haven't done a serious amount of travel in a year and a half, so, uh, you know, I'm kind of due. Uh. 'Cause I haven't I haven't gone, I don't think I've traveled back to back weeks for a long time. Uh but uh yeah, I don't I don't, you know, still doesn't exactly feel like I'm back yet. But uh man, happy to be doing it. Even today we're going to some friend's house for uh July 4th. Uh and I don't know what we did last year for July 4th, probably nothing. But I mean, we spent holidays when we, at Christmas last year, we went to my parents' house. And Thanksgiving, we went to my parents' house, sat in their carport outside next to a space heater and exchanged presents or ate pie or whatever. I mean, it was sad. It was sad. And so just the fact that we're not in that space. anymore. what about the variants? I don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't want to see your chart. I'm emotionally done with COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's nice. It's nice to, uh, to somewhat be having the full human experience again. Oh, there. Don the cat just ran by. This is a little neighborhood report. Little neighborhood spy report. Don ran by. Now he's hanging out by the Zulily package. (laughs) Don, uh... He likes cars. Like, we actually have... I probably said that before, but we actually have to tell, like, the uh, Instacart people or whoever delivers to our house that make sure our cat doesn't jump in your car. Because he will do it. He also comes running. If he's outside, he'll come like sprinting out. He doesn't run in front of the car, but he just runs to the car. Like, what is up? Welcome home. What's going on? Did you bring me anything? Uh, so, for being antisocial, he's pretty social. It's kind of, the kind of Don's got the kind of personality where, like, you like going to a party just so you can shit on everyone there. God, this party's lame. Thank God I was invited. I, uh, one of the things that's not back, really, for my comedy career is, like, sort of, uh, the level of national touring I was doing. I guess Dubai, I'm an international headliner, but, you know, I was doing, I'm still doing stuff. I was just in Arizona a couple weeks ago, and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go to Colorado Springs later in the year, I'm gonna, you know. But my national club work is certainly not what it was in 2019. And, you don't know, who knows? Maybe it won't be. Um, I'm busy enough, so it's working out. But um, I'm, in my career, I've been kind of obsessed with working Sacramento. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why. Because I can't... Re- to work the Bay Area, Sacramento is not the Bay Area, but to work the Bay Area or to work Los Angeles, it's pretty tough. Because they have so many comedians, like, you know, famous comedians even, who live in the area. So any paid work, they're like, we don't need to, like, have someone fly in from Seattle to work. We could, you know, we have all these comed- headlining comedians uh, who live within an hour of here that we can use. So it's it's, you know, I'm not obsessed with working in los angeles because hardly anyone works there they just do stage time there and and san francisco is it's it's a tough place to work so i I am obsessed with sacramento because i'm like fuck i should be able to work sacramento i've had people recommend me to this club laughs unlimited i've had several people recommend me i've been uh (laughs) i've emailed the person the booker with these recommendations and it's it's something that came up in my book. I would love to work Sacramento because it would be like the, uh, what do you call the, the end of the book? A coda? No, that's not right. Uh, the, you know, the epilogue. Oh my god, coda. What the hell? Uh, I would love to say I work Sacramento because it's a theme that came up uh, in the book that I wrote. But, <clears throat> so I'm kind of a, I email that person more than I would email a club who I've never worked before. So I emailed them probably like once a month for the past six months. And I got an email yesterday morning from Laughs Unlimited. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. It's all happening. And then I realized she had added me, the booker had added my email address to the club mailing list. So I was just getting an email that's like, hey, come on out to the club this weekend. You know, whoever's here, uh, here's our upcoming headliners. Thursday night's ladies night, or whatever the hell it was. So not only did I not get a gig, she added me to the email list? Holy shit. I don't want to know your upcoming headliners. I want to be one. I kind of hope she did it on purpose to be a shit because that, I almost respect that move. I almost respect that move. God, will you leave me alone? You know what? I'm going to add this guy to our email list. Uh, <laughs> oh, the rejection in comedy. It's constant. Um, I will. I was going to read some comments because I've had a... Uh, I'm up to, I don't know what, 71,000 uh, followers on TikTok. I've had a couple videos uh, do well recently, so I got a new round of comments. And I'm getting better at the comments because I just, you know, I'm used to it now. But some of them just straight up make me laugh. Uh, Even the negative ones. I mean, some of them are annoying. Like, you know, it's just the constant Dave Grohl references, the constant, you know, there's... One video has, I don't know what, there's 500,000 views on it, and I would say 12 different comments that say, this guy looks like Tim Curry and Dave Grohl had a baby. And it's nothing against those people. I'm just tired of seeing it. Uh, so here's... here's <laughs> a lot of people, because the clip uh, was about being the creepy guy in a rest stop in Nevada. I got several comments that were like, thank you for saying Nevada the right way. Which I didn't even know that was a thing. But I guess some people say Nevada. Just like some people say Oregon, I guess, but... Anyway, I got a lot of kudos for my pronunciation of Nevada, but... Uh, Here's a fun comment. Why do you look like you're about to put contacts in all the time? (laughs) Oh, I am a big-eyed asshole. Uh, Here's a fun one. Is this Burt Kreischer as a lesbian? I just responded yes. Also, 400 likes on Is This Burt Kreischer as a lesbian? Some of them are weird. Some of them I don't understand. The thing about stand-up comedy that doesn't make it funny is when people that laugh at everything, laugh at everything. Like, that wasn't the joke, okay? I have no idea what that means. Here's a fun one. Uh, This is not a diss, but the lighting there made you look like a Furby. Okay. Uh, Right underneath that one. I was waiting to laugh. Never happened. (laughs) Sorry. Here's another comment. This was probably one of the worst stand-up gigs I've ever watched. But Godspeed to you, man. I hope you make millions. I did respond to that one. I just said, thanks for checking in. Here's a fun one. You seem so nervous on stage, man. Relax. That's just objectively not true. You want to see me nervous, get me off stage. I'm fine on stage. Uh, But my favorite one. Maybe this might be my favorite comment I've just ever gotten uh why is he built like a pack of cigarettes <laughs> I don't even exactly know what it means I think it's you know I think it's a reference that I'm square like a torso cuz I am mostly torso so I'm like you know I'm like a screen door with arms legs and a head so I took it as that but uh actually when he said why is he built like a pack of cigarettes I responded American spirit But uh, that one made me laugh. And then some people, I don't know if they think I'm a life coach, but one person was like, how can I become a good storyteller? I travel a lot, but I struggle to convey my experiences to people in an engaging transformation way. I don't know, dude. It's not a TED talk. I would say exaggerate your story. Don't be afraid to lie. What am I supposed to respond? That's redu- I gotta turn my car on. It's so hot. It's gonna be loud. Hold on. Whew, that's better. That's better. I mean, I'm sure it's not better audio, but at least I have a little airflow now. And I will say, overwhelming amount of positive comments. So, I, it's not like it's all negative, but it is... Some of the negative ones make me laugh. And then some of them I just don't understand. I don't. I don't get, you know... <clears throat> I don't get the the people who are like, I don't understand why people think this is funny. I don't like it. It's just a weird way to leave a comment. It's just a weird, I get, I hate this or I love this. I don't get the middle. I don't get meh. Like, why comment? You know, it's kind of like a Yelp review. It's either going to be one star or five stars just to be like. I thought this hotel was mediocre. I have to get online right away and let everyone know I think it's three and a half stars. What's the point of that? It's either uh, I got food poisoning or this is the greatest vacation I've ever had in my life. That should be the online reviews. either uh the staff offers free hand jobs or there's bed bugs. That's the level that I want to see in my reviews. Uh, the Comedy Underground closed in Seattle. I wanted to talk about that, uh, since it's a big, a big building in my life. Uh, Actually, here's what I said uh, on Facebook. Uh, My feed has been full of eulogies to the Comedy Underground in Seattle today. Hopefully it will be back someday in some different form, but for now it's gone. It's just a building, but so was a hospital. The Comedy Underground was where my comedy life was born in October 2000. Actually at the location a block away, but still. I owe The Underground and everyone who helped run it a lot. They owe me too because I'm fucking hilarious and I work cheap. Uh, Then I, I have a video from there, but I'm like... I had some of the greatest nights of my life at The Comedy Underground. What else is there to say after that? That's, uh... That's, it's so weird, because it is just a building. And really, most of my Comedy Underground memories are from the original location, because that's where I started. That's where I, you know, for years I would say, in my head, that I always wrote for the Comedy Underground. Like, that's the audience that I was thinking about when I was thinking, is this joke funny? I'm like, is this, would the Comedy Underground audience laugh at this? I don't know if that's true uh, in the past years, but for the first five, six, seven years I did comedy, that's kind of... uh, That was true. Um, But it is weird. It's just kind of in the way that you... You know, there's other places I've lived here in Olympia, and every once in a while, Chris and I will drive by and be like, oh, wow. Look, they... Built a garage, or it's all different now. And you just think about all the shit you did in that building. That that part's weird uh, when, when it's comedy, because it really, like many people in Seattle who do, in the Seattle area who do comedy, my first time was at the Comedy Underground, and that's most people, at least before five ten years ago. Um. And it's a little, in some ways, who gives a shit? Things come and go. I mean, in fact, just so you know, I'm not over-romanticizing the place. The last time I worked there, I said to myself, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, (laughs) You know, sometimes, you know, it is underground. Sometimes that part's cool. You go downstairs, it feels slightly illegal. The best comedy shows are always like that. A low ceiling in a basement where it feels like something should get shut down. Uh but I don't I I felt like it had gone from kind of a cool, seedy underground spot to just gross. You know, when the same toilet was broken and constantly running for years. When I would work there and come back ten months later, and the same pile of garbage was in the corner. I was just like, I can't, you know, they stopped having wait staff. You had to get up and get your own drinks. It was just, nothing against any individual person who managed there or worked there or owned the place. But it was just, I don't know if it's age, but, you know, maybe it's age. When you're 30, you're like, this place is gross and awesome. And then when you're 47, you're like, I can't invite my adult friends to come see me. First, they have to trip over human shit and heroin needles just to get to the door. And then they have to go downstairs, get their own drinks, and maybe listen to the staff scream at each other and have terrible food. Uh, So I'm I'm not telling you the comedy underground was great. I mean that's kind of its history is it's it, it's under the it's under it was under uh, a sports bar called Swanee's. Um and Swanee was a minor league left-handed catcher. There's actually a documentary on Netflix called The Bastards of Baseball that's uh, worth checking out. He's in that or at least yeah he's in it and referenced in it but I think I mean that was kind of the comedy underground's or at least the Swanees' history. And I was, you know, it gets overblown and who knows what's true and what's not. But because they had, Swanees had that connection to profession, professional athletes. I mean, the legends are when like baseball teams were in town and shit, they would go to Swanees after hours and whatever, do Coke and get blowjobs. That's, that's sort of the origin story of that place. How much of it is true? I don't know. I've had people tell me that one of the, the Swannies, uh managers would take... This is decades and decades ago. This is nothing recently. Statute of limitations has passed. This is a story I was told. Uh, Well, by, I won't say who. But the person who ran Swanee's would take Seattle police officers to a once-a-year vacation in Las Vegas as a way of saying, let us do what we want after hours. I have no idea if that's true. But that's what someone told me. Someone who probably should know. So that's sort of the... You know, but that kind of added to like, what the fuck is this place? Just the, the origin and the, uh, how the place started was kind of like... The whole thing seemed like a money laundering scheme from the beginning. You're like, I don't even know how this place still exists, you know? But it was there for, I don't know, now I can't remember, 1980, 1978, 1982, one of those years? It was there a long-ass time. And it might it might reopen again, but it's not going to be there. Uh, but anyway, it's one thing that kind of makes me sad other than just like, you know oh, I don't get to work there anymore, or oh, that, that's a building I had some of the greatest shows in my life there. Um, I had a couple terrible ones, too. I mean, none of the greatest shows in my life were second show Friday at that place, I'll tell you that much, because, you know, it's in the shadow of the football stadium, or the soccer stadium, or the baseball stadium, so people would drink all day at, like, a Mariners game, and then stumble into the second show Friday, just, you know, wearing Mariners jerseys like fucking yeah, bro. And, like second shows there were rough. Uh although I do have <laughs> I have one memory from there. I actually forgot but this guy who was a manager there, Seth, he told me he tells people the story all the time where uh there was a guy just relentlessly heckling uh the act in front of me and uh I was headlining, like God intended, and I walked up on stage, and the guy was like, "You better be funny," and I just go, "Or what, sir?" And uh, apparently, that guy got a—I do remember it. I it got it got a big laugh, and he did shut the fuck up, but uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's just it just makes me reflect on uh, on uh, when I started and how much that place meant to me and uh you know my giant picture from winning the seattle international comedy competition is there now in an empty room uh right next to the bathroom uh i don't know what they'll do with them i said i wouldn't mind having it but what would i do with a giant old headshot of myself uh, that actually is when I won the Seattle and by the way the Seattle International Comedy Competition allegedly still going this year they're still going to do it even though they, they don't have a club to run it out of they'll do other venues but when I won the headshot I had at the time was a blonde one um, and I just <clears throat> they immediately like blew it up and put it up on the wall like 2004 champion Gabriel Rutledge and I was so mortified That that was going to be there for the rest of my life. That I I got a new headshot. Because I needed one anyway. I didn't have blonde hair anymore. I paid to blow it up myself. And I brought it to the club. Unscrewed the frame. Took the old picture. Put my new one in. Screwed it back in. Put it back. Didn't even ask permission really. I just did it. Because I'm like, I can't have this blonde... Fruit Loop, represent me for the rest of my life. Uh, and I got that headshot at Target, and that's how uh, I actually didn't sign it at that time. I don't think any of them were signed, but years later they asked me to sign it, and so that's what I. That's what the headshot is signed with, is like, I feel like you can tell this picture was taken at Target. Uh, but I also, I was thinking about this, there's just not and this is a little inside baseball, this is a little inside comedy, and I know you're not all comedians, but that kind of opportunity where you just start at a club, at open mics, you get funny enough that you get to host eventually, you get to middle eventually, you get to be the headliner eventually. That doesn't exist that many places anymore. It still can, I know locally uh Tacoma Comedy Club there's still that path a little bit you can start there and you know you, you know get better move up the ranks uh I know people who started going to open mics at Tacoma Comedy Club and now they at least you know they'll headline like a Sunday show or a Saturday afternoon show they'll you know it can happen but the, the standard comedy club that opens now almost exclusively books famous people. And I'm not judging that because they're in the ticket-selling business. They're in the sell some uh, Coors Lights and chicken strips business. I understand that. But it is just to be an old man about it. You know, it's... It's... In some ways, the quality of stand up comedy has never been higher, in some ways, because I think there's more people who are really good at stand up comedy now than there were 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, certainly before that. There's just, you know, there's more access to what comedy is and how it's supposed to happen, and more access to seeing people who are good at it so you can learn yourself and, um, so in some ways, the quality of stand-up comedy now is very high, but in some ways, it, the quality of stand-up comedy is better at the top. In the middle? It's fucking terrible. It's because you go to a club and you see people who are big on YouTube or TikTok or... Uh... Facebook sketches or whatever their thing is, and nothing against those people. But most of them aren't good at stand-up comedy because they didn't start out at the comedy underground, going to open mic, being thrilled you were asked to host. Maybe a year or two later, you get to middle. Maybe four or five years after that, you're finally good enough to headline. My path was a little quicker than that, but I'm really good. so that's, you know, and not just to make this about me, but I guess as an example, like I've been 20 fucking years, 20 years of doing 200 plus shows a year, except for 2020, really fell off in that year. 20 years of 200 plus shows a year. That's not open mics, that's like paid shows. How is that going to compare to someone who got big on TikTok three years ago and was like, shit, I should put together uh, some comedy skits and I could tour. Or how is my 20 years going to compare to an actor who isn't getting as many movie roles as they once did, who had a manager tell them, hey, you put 40 minutes of something together, I can get you 10 grand a weekend. It's not going to compare. You know, and I know fame is a part of this business, but it's also, you know, it's also just a learned skill. You know, and I guess it's like if you need a plumber and you Google and the first company that comes up (laughs) is the one you call, that might not be the best plumber. They just have the best advertising. They just have the best search engine optimization. Or back in the old days in the Yellow Pages, they had the biggest ad. And there's some of that in comedy. There's some of that in comedy where it's like, it's when the, you know, people are still getting better. People are still great at comedy, but it is, it's an interesting yeah, I, th- I think if you've been doing comedy five, ten years now, you're like, well, next level for me is I gotta blow up on social media. Then I can headline. When I started in 2000, no one thought that. It was still fucking hard. It was still borderline impossible to think about being a national touring headliner or get on TV or whatever those things were. It was still incredibly difficult. But it was still like, that idea of like if i just get funny enough i can do this and is that true now? yes. is it less true than it was when i started? yes. and so that makes me sad a little bit. that makes me sad that uh you know, i feel like the, i feel like the underground closing is is a little bit of that stand up comedy path closing. Uh, Seattle, it, you know, it's kind of a unique scene in the way that we have a handful of uh, headliners who aren't famous. I guess some of us are more famous than we used to be. I'm not talking about me, but just, you know, there's. Pe- I'm thinking of a guy, Brad Upton, and his dry bar special went crazy. And, you know, it's not that he's not well-known, But I just mean, there's a bunch of people from Seattle who ended up being professional comedians who tour the world because of Seattle. Seattle gave us the opportunity uh, to get good enough to make that a reality. Is it as good an opportunity as getting good in Seattle and then moving to LA or New York or Austin or somewhere cool where people will notice you? Of course not. You know, that's one of the reasons none of these Seattle people are famous is we're tucked away in this corner of the of 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 the map where we don't get seen a lot. Um and a lot of those people I'm talking about are all old. You know, I'm probably one of the younger ones and I'm 47. So it, you know. Like I said, I am I'm lamenting a thing that's just naturally happening. And I feel like the actual locks being on the doors of the Comedy Underground are just sort of a symbol of that of of uh you know, a new club new clubs will laughs in Seattle is still open. I headline there. Uh, I'll do it again, I'm sure it's great. I love it. There will be new clubs in Seattle. Um, but odds are when those clubs open, it won't be the kind of club I will headline because uh, they will book a Wayan's brother or sister or cousin. Or there's a Wayne's dog I've been hearing good things about, uh, <laughs> uh, and that's nothing against. Hey, the game is famous people sell tickets, and uh, I didn't even play the game. You know, I wasn't in white chicks, uh, so I'm not. I'm not mad at anyone. I'm not mad at any of the people who headline that are more famous than me. I'm not mad at the clubs for booking those people, but I just, you know, whatever comes in next to Seattle as far as a comedy club, and I'm sure something will come in, if not Seattle, the east side, or somewhere. the You know, the odds are uh, it's not a place that's going to be that good for me. You know? It's not going to be a local club that started in whatever, 1978 that built something out of nothing and became like a part of Seattle history and art and that's not gonna happen it's gonna be like a a helium chain of comedy clubs and they're great comedy clubs but it's not like a locally organically grown thing, it's different if the comedy underground was a farmer's market Helium is whole foods. You know? So, uh, I'm doing fine. I'm not telling you that, like, oh, I don't get to do comedy anymore because the system changed so much. Uh, no. The system was never great, and it's, it's, uh, I'm fine. Everything's, I'm still very busy, apparently, even though I have to go to Dubai. But it is, it does make me, uh think nostalgically about how I started and how much that building meant to me and uh, maybe also how much everything seemed possible the first few years I did comedy and, you know, I won the the comedy competition four years in and I, you know, I've had uh, I'm not dying, but I've had a good life I would have taken the deal I had I would have taken this deal you know, two or three years into comedy if it was like you'll be 47 and, you know be touring all over the world and headlining and I would have been like, fuck yes. And I've been on TV a couple times. Awesome. And I have 70,000 followers on TikTok. I would have been like, what's that? And you look like a box of cigarettes. Wait, what? I would have had some questions, but I would have taken the deal. I'm not disappointed in my career most days when I'm sober. But, uh, you know, first five years, you're like, oh, this is going well so far. Can you imagine how far I'll be in in 10 years or 15 years? And you're like, well, okay, my, my growth rate slowed down a little bit. Uh, but anyway, I'm rambling in my fucking car like a lunatic. Uh, so it's weird. I would say I would miss the comedy underground, but really, I already missed it. I already missed the old version. Um, I already missed the, uh, <laughs> the mental... Sp- the, what my brain was like the first the less jaded brain that I had when I was at the comedy underground, the first version, the first five years of comedy or whatever, you know that already passed. I should have mourned that a while ago, but just <clears throat> uh just seeing how uh you know it's funny, and then I watch you know even though I just shit on the building too i just I just said it wasn't always a great place, and it was kind of gross or whatever, just to see there's people almost like gleefully shitting on it closing. Like, well, it was a dump anyway. It was mismanaged. Like, first of all, it's probably gonna be back somewhere else. So, you know you'll be begging to work there again. So, shut the fuck up. And also, like, why? Why say nothing when it's open and then when it closes go, like, good riddance, that place sucked anyway. Like, just fuck off. It was a comedy club that was open for, eh, 30-something? I'm not so bad at math. Let's see. 90, 40-something years? Do you know how hard that is? To have anything be open? 40-something years? When I started, there was Comedy Underground comics and there was Giggles comics. Uh, I mean, I definitely still went to the club called Giggles. It closed and became a strip club called Jiggles. And then became Laugh's Comedy Spot. Uh, I still went there. But it was like, even when I would go there, the owner of Giggles would be like, Oh! Mr. Comedy Underground showing up, huh? It was like, you know. Uh, So I guess in my head, I always felt that way. You know? I'm a Comedy Underground comic. And I guess that will be true uh, post-mortem as well. Even though the club is not there anymore. It's still, uh, it's still the building that birthed me. Um, I did not bring my calendar to the car, but uh, I think uh, July 10th, I'm in Wenanchee. Actually, Mission, Mission Ridge, which is like a ski resort in Wenanchi. Um July 15th, Talon, Oregon. July 16th, 17th, Medford, Oregon. Uh, that's all I can remember. We're going to Hawaii towards the end of July. All of us, all the podcast listeners. We're taking a, the Rutledge cruise to Hawaii, all of us. No, my family, we're going to Hawaii. Thanks, mother-in-law. Um, I think that's good enough. Talk to you next time. Show's over. We're done. Bye.